Welcome to today's question and answer session. I'm pleased to be joined by Martin Lewis. He's the CEO and founder of Market Partners and also the author of a very compelling book on the customer buyer journey and the, the, specifically the DNA and how you map and manage the buyer journey. I'm Ray Wright. I'm the founder and CEO of RevOps Squared. And I'll just go ahead and turn it over to Martin, let him introduce himself, but we'll get right into the top four questions we're going to be asking today. Thanks, Ray. Pleasure to be here. And uh, yes, I'm Martin Lewis. I founded Market Partners 20 years ago. After 20 years in corporate sales as sales manager, uh, VP, VP marketing, VP sales, and finally CEO with 700 salespeople working for me. And uh, the matter of sales process and the most efficient, effective, productive way to sales uh, sell has been a passion of mine forever. Well, Martin, I know that, you know, when I first met you and I read your book, I was really compelled, especially about the framework that you've built for mapping and managing the buyer journey. But, you know, today is not the normal time. Before we knew about things like shelter in place and Dr. Fauci and the three stages of reopening our economy, right, everyone was talking about the buyer journey and how we need to better map our customer acquisition process to the buyer journey. But you, know, you and I have a little bit more um, experience than some people in the industry. And we've lived through 01, 02, and again through 08 and 09. So I guess the first question I wanted to ask is, can you tell me a little bit about what's the philosophy behind mapping the buyer journey in the book that you wrote? Terrific. Well, yeah, right. Um, as I said, sales process has always been a passion of mine. And about 18 years ago, we were working with a client. We always looked at how our clients were selling and what was working, what their best practices were. And that client asked me to interview some of their customers. And I thought, well, that's perhaps a good idea. So we started talking to their customers and we, we found out a lot of things about asking their customers how they were buying and why they weren't. And so that started to become what we did. And about 10 years ago, we found that we'd actually talked to over a thousand buyers about how they buy across a broad section of industries and offerings. And we kind of realized there's some revelations in what we're doing. Uh, the first thing, and as a salesperson, as somebody that was kind of so passionate about the sales process, the first thing is we realized, uh, perhaps obviously, that buyers don't buy as a result of the sales process. They buy as a result of a buying process. So the only process that actually gets you somewhere is the buying process. We also found they don't buy rationally. That um, if you put a great offer in front of them and you show them how your, your offering can save them money and the ROI would be nine months or whatever it is, they don't just sign up. There's many reasons that they don't buy what would appear to be rationally and economically. We also realized that the hard work that goes on in the buying journey, and this is absolutely key, the hard work that goes on in the buying journey is after somebody in the company has said, this is something we should do. So often known as the champion in sales parlance. Once you've got the champion and the champion is saying, yes, I believe this is what we should do, when we talk to customers, that's when they think the work actually starts. That's the work of getting everybody on side, handling all the objections, handling all the issues around implementation, about change. So the hard work actually occurs after somebody has said, yes, this is a good thing to do. And then the final revelation we had was when it comes to a particular market, buyers buy in a very similar way. So in a particular market, when buying a particular offering, Buyers will buy in a similar way. The same kind of people will get involved. They'll do the same kind of things. They'll have the same value drivers and they'll have the same concerns. So we realized at that point that we could actually map the 
the buying journey. And if we can map it, we can then manage it. And indeed, the idea of sales process, then we said that's from the 80s. The only process that matters is the buying process. We should map it and we should manage it. And that indeed led to the book a number of years ago, the realization we had that concept, that IP, and the book essentially lays that out. Well, Martin, you mentioned two things in your comment to that question. One is that the buying journey is not always rational. And then the second thing you said is, but there are some things that are predictable. Based upon your experience coming out of the dot-com kind of economic crisis of 2002 and the financial crisis of 0809, at a high level, are there some changes in the buying journey that you saw then that you think will apply today? At a high level, the interesting thing is the buying journey remains pretty much the buying journey. People will still go through the same kind of buying steps. They'll still do what they used to do. The same people will get involved, but there will be some changes as they go through that buying journey. And I, I have no doubt about that. It's not just the result of the shutdown, but the economic uncertainty that we're going to be faced with for, for some time. I wish I knew how long, who knows, but that's the uncertainty aspect. So we're definitely going to see changes in how people go through the buying journey. But the buying journey itself is not going to change that much. Interesting that you say that is reading your book, I noticed you like to put frameworks together and give real specific ideas and recommendations on how to navigate the buyer journey. What about some ideas or framework you have to help navigate the post-COVID-19 pandemic buyer journey? Well, um, as you've read from the book, there, there's six aspects of the buying journey that, that we look at. So let's go through each of those six and comment on what we think will change. The first thing that we always look for is, is what triggers a buying journey? What starts a buying journey? We're not going to see too much change in what triggers a buying journey, but we're going to see buying journeys start in different areas. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that cash is going to be more important and companies are going to be focused on more pragmatic um, tactics to uh, reduce expenditure and be more risk adverse. So what will start a buying journey will change a little. The activities and steps people go through, we're not anticipating a lot of change. People are saying, well, yes, but people are more used to now online. They went online a few years ago. So the ability to network, the ability to go down the buying journey without a salesperson using the internet, that has been there. So we anticipate the kind of activities, the steps, the touch points that customers will go through remain the same. Key players, expect finance to be more involved. Expect finance to play a heavier role right throughout the buying journey. Our fourth area is what we call the buying style. So where do people buy? How do they make the decision of what to buy and where to buy? We think the big thing here is some old relationships will be tested, that maybe uh, buyers were buying based on a relationship. We're going to see those kind of things tested as money becomes more important. So I think we'll see relationships being tested. Value drivers is our fifth area, what motivates a buying journey. Again, I think this is going to change somewhat. You're going to see more uh, pragmatic value drivers. People want to know what's in it for them, what's in it for them now. Then the sixth area, the six we look at, is buying concerns. This is what stops or slows down the buying journey, and this is where we're going to see the change. We're going to see priorities change. We're going to see priorities, again, placed more on uh, cash protection and less on risk. Um, another area of buying concerns is alternatives. What alternatives are we faced with? Bandwidth is going to become a, a constraint. Bandwidth is going to become a pinch point. 
Do we have the bandwidth to go ahead with this acquisition? Do we have the bandwidth to go ahead with this implementation? So we think alternatives. And then definitely we're going to see uh, lower risk that companies, organizations are going to not want to take on risk, especially if, if risk implies there could be cost and delay. And we're going to see the return of good enough. If something is good enough, a company may know this is not the best. A company may know that they would do better by moving to a different platform, a different technology, a different offering. But if what they've got is good enough, they're likely to stay. So kind of those are the changes that we really see happening. So I was thinking back to some of the mistakes that I've made when I tried to put my heads of marketing, sales, even CEO in a room and talk about what we think the buyer journey is like, especially from the two or three customers who told us how they went through the purchase process. So I'm wondering, um, from your perspective, having done this hundreds if not thousands of times, what are some of the most common challenges and mistakes companies make when they're actually trying to map their buyer journey, especially in a post-pandemic financial crisis like we have now? Yeah, uh, a, a great question. The good news, let's start with the good news. The good news is people are talking about the buying journey. There's a realization that this is important. I don't think in most cases it's gone far enough. I don't think there's a realization that you can forget sales process. Buying process is the only thing that matters, and you've got to understand the entire buying process. So what do we see, to answer your question, what do, what do we see folk doing? The first thing is falling into what I call only a fool wouldn't buy trap. That if you believe your product is of such great value and you can prove that, only a fool wouldn't buy. And I've heard that expression so many times. Only a fool wouldn't buy. We already said and I shared that customers don't buy economically and rationally. There's many things that stop them buying. If they bought everything that came along that offered them value, they'd be doing nothing but buying things all day long. That um, you've got to get past the notion that you've got to prove the worth of your offering and then somebody will buy economically. They won't. So it's really looking into what is it that will trigger that buying journey? What is it that will complete that buying journey? In similar vein, number two, I would say, thinking there's no other game in town. Once again, that if you prove your offering is of value to them, only a fool wouldn't buy. They've got so many other things to do. They've got so many other things to worry about that you can come along with a great value proposition, but they're not going to move forward. There's too many other things on the table. Now, that doesn't mean you can't navigate through that buying journey. It doesn't mean you can't change how they're thinking about it. But to your point, the mistake that people make is thinking that there's nothing else the buyer is doing but going along with them as they're selling and marketing. And then... The third one, which is really where it all starts, is not looking at the true buying journey, but what you imagine the buying journey to be. I find so many organizations that have their marketing and sales process, and they fit the buying journey on top of that. So while I'm doing this, here's what the buyer's doing. While I'm doing that, here's what the buyer's doing. As if the buyer had nothing else to do but follow you along in your process. And, and that is just a hypothetical and fictitious buying journey. Maybe it's better than nothing but it can lead to so many assumptions and investments in the wrong place that you've really got to understand in, in, in real detail about what a buyer does. And it's not about your product or offering. It's about what do they really do? Who gets involved? What happens? What are all their concerns? And we see people massively, massively underestimating concerns when people say, well, there's a risk with implementation. And we'll see 
the seller say, yes, but we can help them. We've got tools to help them. And uh, it's happened many times before, but that, that risk can stop people buying. So not imagining what customers are doing, but really discovering what customers are doing. 